I want you to consider the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. Like, I want you to take a moment right now and to think about the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. Maybe it was a location. Maybe you went on a trip somewhere. You saw a beautiful vista. Maybe it was a certain sunset or morning or a, or a painting, a piece of art. I want you to think about the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. And, and as you think about that, as you reflect on that, I want you to just, in your mind, I want you to identify emotions that you feel as you think of that. We, we did this uh, exercise with a worship team a couple months back, and DJ De La Cruz, who uh, he plays acoustic guitar for us, we were sharing some of our most beautiful things we've ever seen. And he's from the Philippines, and he told a story of he and his wife, Laura, um, going to visit this very special tree that was deep in the wild of the Philippines. And you had to travel by night, and you could not travel with any light, and you had to travel by kayak or canoe. So in silence and in the dead of night... And in the stillness, you had to paddle slowly and quietly down this river for a long time until you would arrive at this tree where fireflies would mate and breed. So in the middle of the pitch black Filipino wilderness is this majestic tree scattered with lights from fireflies. I don't know what kind of emotions you feel when you think of something like that or when you think of the most beautiful thing you've ever seen in your life. I don't know what inspires you or what rises up in you, but there's something about us that is designed to appreciate, value, and cherish beauty. And this series that we're jumping into is all about standing before a beautiful God and appreciating, valuing, and cherishing him just for who he is. And rightly looking at the God of all creation. It's about slowing down and soaking in the goodness of our God. And I'm incredibly excited and I'm filled with great anticipation for what I believe this series will do inside each and every one of us. Awe and wonder, I think it's important before we begin to define these words because when we were preparing this series, this teaching team, you know, it's just a simple thing. You're like, what do these words even mean? Like, what's the definition? And I actually found great depth and great beauty in the definition. So before we begin, let's just, let's just talk about what is, what is awe. Awe is defined. I think we got the definition we'll throw up there. Awe is a feeling of reverential respect mixed with fear or wonder. Reverential respect with a tinge of fear and a little bit of wonder. Think about Niagara Falls. Millions of gallons of rushing water pouring over the edge of the cliffs down to wherever it goes and onward and it's loud and it's beautiful and it's amazing and don't put me in there, but let me watch it from here. I have a certain degree of respect for it and a little bit of fear for it, but it is wonderful. Think of, uh, sorry, Pastor Tellus, giant, giant ocean creatures, great white shark, incredible. If you, if you watch Shark Week, you see them popping out of the water, doing incredible things. 
I'll watch you from a distance. Awe. A little bit of fear. <laughs> a lot of bit of fear, maybe. A lot of bit of fear. Awe and wonder. This is all reverential respect mixed with fear and wonder. Wonder is a feeling of surprise mingled with admiration. Feeling of surprise mingled with admiration caused by something beautiful, unexpected, unfamiliar, or inexplicable. Think of a night sky when it's perfectly clear and you can see the stars like you've never seen them before and there's a stillness in the air and there might be just crickets chirping and there's a crisp about, uh, about the, the temperature of breathe and you look at the night sky and there's something about you that's filled with surprise and amazement and admiration at the vastness of creation and you stand in wonder before it it is important for us to stop and to fixate and to meditate on the beauty of our natural world and the beauty of our God. Because when we rightly see him for how big he is, none of the problems of this world seem quite so big anymore. It is a healthy dose of perspective that we're after. The way we're going to do this over the next handful of weeks is we're going to look through a number of psalms. We feel like the psalmists do a phenomenal job, not just teaching us how to pray, not just teaching us how to worship, but the psalmists do a phenomenal job diagnosing the human condition. The most beautiful looks of humanity are written and expressed in the psalms. And they, do, they accurately describe God, they accurately describe man, and they blend worship, wonder, prayer, strife, grief, lament, all together in a beautiful way. And so we have, I think, six topics, attributes, characteristics of God that we're going to talk about that my hope is that they inspire a degree of all wonder, reverence, and worship for God. Tonight we're talking about the wonder of creation, the wonder of God in creation. We're going to be in Psalm 8. So I'm going to read Psalm 8. You can follow along with me. And then we'll talk about the wonder of God in creation. This is David, King David writing Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray. Father God, give us a right perspective of you tonight. Set us before you rightly. Help us to see you as you are. And transform us from the inside out. That we might be a people who reverence you the way we ought to. Come and have your way in Jesus' name. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. 
David starts and ends this psalm with uh, those words. It's a literary term. It's called an inclusio. There's your fun fact for the night. You can write that down. I learned it, so now you learned it. So now we're all better together. Okay. Praise God. What it does, though, is it lets us know what this psalm is really about in David's mind. He's starting it. He's ending it. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Above all things, over everything, over all creation, over all land, over all humanity, the one thing David is exalting over everything is the majesty and the beauty of our Lord. That's the beginning and that's the end. Why is this important? That is important for the same reason this whole series is important. Because when we magnify the majesty of God, we minimize ourselves. When we make God bigger, by nature, we make ourselves smaller, which is one of the healthiest behaviors a Christian can have. And let me encourage you to find a rhythm in your life where you can do just that. Jesus says it in John 3.30, he must increase, I must decrease. Because when we get out of the picture and when we step back and we look at God for who he really is and we magnify him and his purposes in our life, when we assert that this life, maybe it's not all about me, maybe it's not all about my desires, my wants, my needs, my identity. Maybe this whole life is about what God is doing in the earth and through me and around me and in my community. When we step back and we make that assertion about God and about ourselves, we magnify him, we minimize ourselves, then we can see what God is up to in our lives. Then we can rightly discern where he's going, what he's doing, and what part we have to play in it. The problem is we are often our biggest obstacle to seeing God. Not just our sin, although our sin does make it hard to see God. Not just distractions, although how many of you know distractions make it really hard to focus on God for any extended period of time. There's so many demands, so many needs. Not just past trauma, past pain, past decisions that we've made that have hurt us, that have lingering effects on our lives, that also makes it hard to see God. But I think the thing that makes it harder than anything else to see God is the idea and the image we have made of ourselves. How we have prioritized ourselves over everything else in our life. How we have elevated our opinions to be equal to the word of God in our lives. We've elevated our lived experiences and we have said that that is of equal weight in measure to the word of God. This is one of the greatest faults of my generation. We deeply value our opinions way too much. And we go, God, I know what your word says, or maybe I don't know what your word says, but I think I know what your word says. But here's what I've lived and here's how I kind of feel about it. And that means as much and is as true as what your word says. We have elevated, we have magnified ourselves, put ourselves on equal footing to God, and we wonder why we can't hear him well. We wonder why we can't see him well. We wonder why we don't see the blessing in our lives because we have reduced him to appear by elevating ourselves. David says, oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Your majesty is what I think about when I wake up. Your majesty is what I think about when I go down to sleep at night. You, Lord, are glorious. And we say, God, I know you've called that sin, but, you know, in my situation, I think you've got some grace for me. 
we'd be all right. Right, God? Because you know what I've been through, God, so it's okay for me to do it. Not everybody else, but me, you know, because we're boys. You're my friend. You understand. You get it. It's not a big deal to you, right? Holiness is not a big deal to you, God. Like, it's magnification of self over, over God. And what I think we need is a degree of holy tunnel vision. You know, most people say tunnel vision is a bad thing. You know, you're so focused on one thing, you can't see anything else. You're so focused on your outcome or your goal or your desire or what you want that nothing else matters. And usually what happens is people get caught in the collateral damage of your tunnel vision or you make some mistakes because you're so laser focused. But the problem for so many of us is our spiritual life is kept in our peripheral vision. It's on the outskirts. It's in the picture. Don't get me wrong. We're not heathens. We go to church, we hear SM15. It's in the picture, but it's not what I'm focused on. What I'm focused on is me, my career, my family, and my goals, my dreams, and my aspirations. I keep God here. He's going to bless it and help me as I need to go. But have you noticed you can see the shape and the color of that which is in the periphery, but you can get no clarity or detail? So you might see a shape of God. You might see the color of God, but you have no clarity or discernment or understanding accurately of the word of God, because what we are after is myself, me. And we need to move what's on the periphery into focus, get a degree of holy tunnel vision, be locked onto Jesus, trusting that he is the one that takes care of everything on the periphery. That's the way it works, from the inside out, not from the, not from the, outside, not from the outside in. I was going to go a little bit harder on that, but I'm going to skip some notes because I think you guys got it. I just had it here. God is not to be trifled with. Y'all, we can do that after hours. We, we can come back to that point. We'll come back to that point later. I just want you to know God is not to be trifled with. David grounds us in this. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. He is magnifying the glory of God. And when he does, we get smaller. Our problems get smaller. The things that challenge us every day get smaller. When we live a life of worship and of praise and of honoring God, what we do is that we strengthen the inner man. We establish a degree of, of faith. We root ourselves in the Lord God Almighty. And although we may face challenges on every side and be surrounded by many problems, and though things might not be going our way, we are rooted and we live, like we live in the truth and the reality of a holy and a sovereign and a mighty God who holds all things in his hands. So for us to be a people who regularly reflect and meditate on that and who live in that space requires some effort because that can be a challenge when life circumstances are always pulling us away from magnifying and glorifying God. And listen, we live there. We live there where the circumstances of our life do not always speak to the glory of God. The things that we navigate make it really hard to go like, yes, this majestic creator who has all power, who could pull me out. And we get some tension in our spiritual lives. And how do we navigate that? Because that's a difficult thing, and that's a thing that I think we need to do. But I would say that the majesty of God is revealed primarily through the wonder of creation. 
And for me, this has been a great place to reroot myself in him. And this is where I want us to start with this series, Rooting Ourselves In. So if you're ready to nerd out with me, let's nerd out for a minute. Okay, so the James Webb Space Telescope. You guys heard about this? You know about this? Okay. If you don't know about this, you might know the Hubble Telescope, which was launched. I don't know. I'm not really super deep into this, but launched a while ago. It's getting amazing images. James Webb Space Telescope more recently launched. We're getting the first images back. Much greater clarity. It's seeing incredible things we never thought we could see before. Could we put that image up and then could we do like, maybe, I don't know, guys, could we like lower the lights a little bit, get a little planetarium vibe in here? Come on, AV, AV booth in the back. I didn't ask them for that. Okay. This is the Carina Nebula. It's a turbulent region of dust and gas where new stars are born. It's 7,500 light years away from Earth. One light year is the distance light travels in one year. It's 7,500 light years away. That is way far away in space right now. Go to the next one. You've probably seen these if you followed this at at all. These are galaxies across the universe. And the red arcs in the image, they trace light from galaxies from the very early universe, some like 13 billion years old. And we've learned from this that there were 10 times more galaxies just like the Milky Way in the early universe, 10 times more than we thought. We have a solar system of eight planets, and if you grew up in the 90s, nine planets. (laughs) Pluto forever. (laughs) We orbit one sun. That solar system exists within the vast Milky Way galaxy. Here's the difficult thing about this portion of this sermon. We cannot comprehend any of what I'm about to say. I'm going to do my best, but this is the point. That Milky Way galaxy is in the grand cosmos with way more galaxies than we ever thought existed out there. We have no idea what's in these things. Those those images you see of those galaxies are from galaxies billions of years old. You're looking back in time when you look at that picture. Do you understand that? Of course you don't, because it's impossible to understand. A bunch of liars in here. I'm just kidding. I'm like, (laughs) if this is the vastness of the universe, and we're way over there, and those galaxies are way over here, and as that light travels, the image of that light travels, it's so far away, it's not one year, it's not two years, it's like 13 billion years to get within the viewable range of what we see way over here. When you turn a light on in your house, that light travels, but you see it instantaneously. Now turn that light on in your house and wait 13 billion years That's how far that light has to travel. Why is space so big? Legitimately. Why? (laughs) Why does it need to be so big? Other than our God is so big. Other than the God who created it is even bigger than that. 
And when I think about the vast expanse, the limitlessness of space itself, this ever-expanding entity, that's the start of God. I like that God. I like that God. That's a big, that's a big God. We went to the uh, Smithsonian Museum of Natural History on Monday this week with the boys. We did a little day trip out there, and um, I wish I took a picture of it. I didn't think I'd be preaching on it tonight, but um, when you walk in, it's a great museum. I haven't been there in a long time. If you've not been there, you should go back. They've redone a lot of it. And, you know, you can see the mammal exhibits, and you can see the Hope Diamond, and you can see, you know, the, the insect pavilion and butterflies and all this cool stuff. But obviously, the reason you go to the Smithsonian Museum of Natural History is the dinosaur bones. That's why you go. And they've redone their whole exhibit, and they've called it now Deep Time. And when you walk in, the first thing you see is this big board that is explaining the concept of deep time to you. What it's saying is that, let let me say this first. Deep time is the time scale of geological events. And what it's communicating to you is that before you even walk into this exhibit, just go ahead and get rid of every concept of time that you have. You cannot approach what you're about to see with the regular construct of time that you have. Because we can only think in years, maybe hundreds of years, maybe thousands of years. But beyond that, we kind of lose scope of what we're talking about. We don't really have an image of that. We can think of lifetimes and, and maybe, you know, a few thousand years of the history that we've been taught. But they're saying when you come in here, we're talking millions and billions of years ago. Again. You can't comprehend it. I can't comprehend it. It's just words at this point. But just press in here, right? Just pretend we could grasp what I'm saying. That what you're looking at is history, fossils, uh, evidence of life from millions and billions of years ago. I'm not a young earth person. I just don't think that makes any sense with my Bible or the size of my God. I don't think the seven days of creation were seven days. I think science and my Bible match up beautifully. I think the big bang was that moment when God said, let there be light. I think that's when the bang banged. I don't know why. I don't know why there's so much controversy about that. Science is going like, yeah, something, you know, nothing was there. And then something was created in a moment. And we're going like, yeah, God spoke and something was created. No, that's crazy. Nothing spoke and then things were created. Like, well, anyways. (laughs) I'm doing them. Anyway. The vastness of space is beyond comprehension. And it speaks to the glory of God. The depth of time is beyond comprehension, and it speaks to the glory of God. Is it beyond us that God would work through natural means and the evidence of of geology that we can see to produce the life that we have today? Is that beyond God's creative ability? Do we think God is too small to be creative for millions of years? I don't think so. You can think differently. I don't think so. I think the science is there, the evidence of there, and it only makes me value and appreciate God even more. He's bigger to me. He's, he's bigger. And if, and if the concepts of space and the concepts of time are too vast for us to comprehend, why do we think God can be fully comprehended? 
He's the one that in, invented and created the incomprehensible things which, which we can see and we can measure. Why do I say that? Maybe because it puts proper perspective on life. Maybe because it puts God rightly in his place as a holy, sovereign, powerful creator. Maybe because it helps us remember rightly that if this God who was here before it all began, who made all of this, is going to be here after it's all gone, maybe I can take a deep breath and go like, it's going to be okay. Maybe my problems aren't quite as big as they feel every day. Maybe there is a creator God, not just who can give me good advice along the way, but maybe there's a creator God who's working in and through all things at all times in ways I can never see or imagine. You think the discipline here, the discipline here is to meditate and reflect on the creation of God and the beauty of God to cultivate this healthy perspective in your life. If you look at the sparrow, the earthworm, the tree, and the level of attention and detail that God put into that, if you think of the vastness of our own oceans, which they say we know more about that space than we do about our own oceans, if you think about a God who moves through weather patterns and migration patterns, and if you've ever watched uh, Blue Planet or Planet Earth or One Earth or, or any of these nature documentaries, you see these incredible symbiotic relationships between animals that need each other to survive. And you see the mating patterns of these things that you just go like, why is there so much intention and depth and purpose and complexity to these wonderful things other than a complex, creative, and wonderful God made them. And if God put that much attention into animals, how much more attention does he put onto you and onto your life? How much more do you mean to him than all of natural creation, which he has put us in dominion over? He has called us to be the stewards of it and to be the shepherds of it. You think God does not see you? You think God cannot help you? You think God is not aware of exactly what's going on in your life? He knows every bit of it. He is intimately aware. When I look at the heavens, the stars and the moon and the sky, what am I? What am I that you are mindful of me and that you care for me? God established this vast, incomprehensible world that we live in. And then to cap it all off, he made mankind in his image and gave us authority over it. The majesty of God is revealed through the wonder of creation and it's entrusted to the lowliest of beings. We gotta go back for a second to verse two. In Psalm 8. Because David says this crazy, to me it's this crazy thing. And I think we got to take a second to study it. We're talking about the majesty of God, the wonder of creation, all of these things. And then David says, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you've established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. 
Does that make any sense to you? Just on face value. One commentator actually said that without verses 1 and 2, this would be a very logical and straightforward psalm. I thought that was pretty funny. If you take out this complex, confusing saying, you're going like, oh, this makes, this makes sense. But God establishes strength through babies. He defeats, y'all are too churchy. Y'all, y'all, need, to, y'all need to investigate your Bibles. He, is, he defeats the enemy through infants. I'm going, to, you're going to have to help me with that, God. So I look into it. There's a couple ways I think you could take this. I think you could take it that God uses generations and he moves through families and children to establish his people in his kingdom. I think that's true. I think that's a big part about how God moves and establishes his people on the earth. I think you could take it reflecting on the words of Jesus when he says, you ought to have faith like a child, for they're the ones who are going to inherit the kingdom of God. And I think that that's true as well. There's a degree of our faith that requires a child likeness as we approach God. And those are the ones who approach him with full faith and trust, just like JC exhorted in our offering message. Those are the ones who inherit the kingdom of God. Or... I think you take it as a revelation of how God moves in and through the earth. He uses meekness to display his majesty. Think back to the triumphal entry. Jesus' last entry into Jerusalem uh, before he's arrested and sentenced to death. Remember how Jesus enters into the city? The prophet Zephaniah tells us, he says, Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. Is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey? How is the king of glory entering in? Humble and lowly on a donkey. And if you read the Matthew account, it talks about what the children are doing as he enters into the temple. It says the children are shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. And this really made the scribes and uh, the chief priests really upset because what they're saying is, save us now, son of David, which is to say he's the Messiah, the one to come from the line of David that's destined to save us. So they are now calling Jesus publicly in the synagogue, the son of God the Messiah to save Israel. And they go, Jesus, do you hear them and what they're saying? And Jesus goes, yeah. Have you never read out of the mouths of babies and infants they will proclaim my praise? He quotes Psalm 8. Have you never read Psalm 8? Of course the children are going to sing and shout my praise. So how is the king of glory going to enter in? Humble and lowly. And who will herald him? Children. The meek, the lowly, and the humble. God uses meekness to display his majesty. And David understands this because as he reflects on creation and the beauty of God and of the works of the world, he's coming back to this same point. What is man? You know, man is the only mammal that needs to be taken care of for 18 years by its mama and dada. Some takes 26. I'll stop there. Some of y'all step on some toes. And we all can relate with that idea of you look at the wonder of God, you go, what are we, man? Not just that you're mindful of us, not just that you made us, not just that you gave us purpose, but you care for us. You desire us. You're after us. God, what, what is that? 
but God using that which is meek and lowly to express his majesty. It is exactly what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29. Let's read this quickly. Paul writing, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. You understand, this is how the almighty, all-powerful God of all creation chooses to work in and through the earth. He chooses to use that which is meek and lowly and humble. So when you think you're not good enough, when you think you're not talented enough, when you think you're not graced enough, when you think you don't have a big enough platform or a good enough opportunity, when you think lowly of yourself, that might just be the time when God is ready to use you the most. He can definitely use a humble and available person. We've got to magnify God and minimize ourselves. What God is doing through this psalm is establishing a pattern of majesty revealed few meekness. But if you think about it, he talks about we're going to have dominion over the earth. But just, just take that one for an example. Do we have dominion over the earth? Or did a virus shut us down for so long we don't even know if it's over or not? Earthquake, hurricane, flash floods, doesn't that... Do we have any dominion, any control over that as humanity? I think we live in a world that doesn't really feel like we have much dominion over it. Do babies really proclaim the majesty of God? Are babies really the one that are defeating the enemies of God? Just take our church hat off for a moment. Is that what I'm seeing? I don't know if that's what I'm seeing, but God is establishing a pattern that he intends to fulfill, not through our humanity, but the divine humanity. Because when Jesus comes, the Messiah, the Son of God, the heel that will crush the head of the enemy, that will overcome Satan's sin and death in this world, how does he come again? But as a baby, meek and humble and lowly, and are we crowned with glory, humanity, you and me? I don't feel most days like I'm crowned with glory and honor. I feel most days like I'm crowned with a sense of sin, guilt, and shame. But Jesus, the sinless one, he came crowned with glory. And the dominion that he offers to us through salvation returns us to the dominion that God granted us in the Garden of Eden. When we first sinned against God, we had dominion over all things. That was perfection. That was what God intended for us. Our sin broke us out of that. But who is it by that we will be restored back to that? But the blood of Jesus, the one who fulfills everything David is writing about in this psalm. The one who is enough when we're not enough. So not just does God give us this glorious perspective of eternity and creation and everything wonderful, not only do we get to sit in humble perspective before the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, not only do we get to reflect and to see that in the beauty of the created world around us, but the testimony of what is to be true of us, the meek and the lowly and the humble, 
has been fulfilled for us in Jesus. And we get to receive that as our inheritance. Let me get the worship team to come back up while I close. You know, this series is intended to inspire a sense of worship in us. So we're just going to end every night with a few minutes of, of worship. You know, there's a spiritual discipline, I think, that goes along with the message we're talking about tonight. Because it can be very theoretical. It can be very kind of head, head kind of, you know, a lot of thinking about. But, but how do I, as a believer today, make this message matter? Like, like what does this do for me? How does this, how does this change me? And as a teaching team, we've talked about how do we, how do we ground these messages in something that's practical? And we thought, we, we, we want to we bring a spiritual discipline to each, each message. Teaching ourselves and each other how to walk in these truths. And for this message, the one that I, that I thought was best, was silence and solitude. Which, if you're me, it means put the phone down, close the laptop, go sit outside. Don't put music on, don't put nothing, just, just sit in silence before your God and reflect and remember on his majesty, on his goodness, on his faithfulness, on how big he is, how he holds the created world in his hand. That it was just a voice, just a word from his lips that brought all of this into being. A God who loves goes, whose love goes from everlasting to everlasting. His steadfast love will endure forever. If we can even spend a few moments there, rightly orienting ourselves before a holy and a righteous God, we begin to get a little smaller. Our problems get smaller, our opinions get smaller, our preferences get smaller, issues in relationship get smaller, offense we've carried gets a little bit easier to forgive. Hope for the future gets a lot easier to hold on to when you remember God is eternal and everlasting. When you remember the promises of Scripture, the promises of the plan of God to redeem and restore us unto Him have been fulfilled in Christ. And I would love for us to be a people who stand before that majestic, all-powerful God with a degree of, of awe, of reverential respect, mixed with a, with a fear and of wonder, surprise and admiration at something beautiful and unexpected, something inexplicable. When I look at the stars in the sky, work of your fingers what am I God that you are mindful of me what is the son of man that you would care for me oh Lord our Lord how majestic is your name in all the earth father we sit before you and we set aside the weight 
and the burden that we carry. We set aside our bitterness, our unforgiveness, our stress. We set aside the pain. We set aside the urgency. We set aside the need to perform and to do and to accomplish. We set aside our sin and we look upon the Holy One seated in heavenly places. How great you are and how great is your name. God, we worship you. Thank you, God. Fill us daily, Lord, with awe, with wonder, with reverence, and with hearts of worship that accurately see you as you are so that we could accurately see us as we are, that we could get in the flow of your spirit, keeping in step with you, God, humbled before the mighty hand of God each and every day of our lives. Move on our hearts, Lord. Show us your glory. Show us your majesty. You are worthy of all praise.